your YouTube feed is crap. Stop wasting your time watching bot-boosted shills and self-appointed gurus cloying for your attention. Instead, join the Goslings interview, live stream, and podcast. The Goslings, a dark-lit digital speakeasy of free thinkers. A super chat of radical truth-seeking wizards who eat trolls for second breakfast. Topics that'll make your mama's hair stand on end. Ideas that'll make your pastor's knees knock. Guests that will illuminate the hidden chambers of your mind. And interviews that strike down the darkness. Welcome to The Goslings. Tim Cohen, author of The Antichrist in a Cup of Tea, back with The Goslings for a third time to talk about the coronation of King Charles III, or as Nick and I like to call it, the coronation of the beast, which is maybe the most metal title we have ever given <laughs> yeah. to anything. So, Tim, you are an expert on all things King Charles and uh, and the Antichrist agenda. My friend, take it away. Tell us about the coronation. Okay. Well, boy, a lot of shocking things. <laughs> so let's talk about what was different before I show some uh, some visuals. Okay. Cool. There were several things different about this coronation from any past coronation. Um, you know, for hundreds of years, the British monarchy has had a church over its went over which it's been the titular head, which is the Anglican Communion. You know, now split into Anglican Protestantism, uh, Episcopalianism, uh, the Methodist Church, right? Yeah, and actually some others. So all that has sat under the British monarchy. They split off originally under Henry VIII, King Henry VIII from Roman Catholicism because he wanted to do some things with some wives that the Pope didn't approve, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, scripture didn't really approve of some of the things that he wanted to do. And so he decided, well, okay, I'll be boss over my own church and I'll do it my way and form the Anglican Protestant Church. Well, prior to that, He'd, be, he'd been given a title, Defender of the Faith, conferred on him by the Pope. You know, it was a Roman Catholic title originally. You know, and the faith and vision was Roman Catholicism originally. He decided he'd keep the title and just lose the church, the Roman Catholic part of it. Hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And so there's some good fruit that came out of that historically. We got, for example, the King James Version translation. We got rid of... You know, a lot of the apocryphal books from between the Testaments, right. you know, as scripture, because they're not scripture. Um, there are some that I think are pretty close to scripture, a handful. And some that are just historical, like First and Second Maccabees that, yep. you know, you could argue those belong in the canon, just like you could argue Esther does. You know, mm -hmm. or, yeah. Uh, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. So there are some arguments to be made for some of that. But, you know, in general, I agree that those things didn't belong in the canon. And so those got removed. So you no longer have Protestants, for example, in the churches that came later, confused by notions of purgatory, a celibate priesthood, hmm. you know, prayers to deceased saints, Marian devotions, or all these other things that they based loosely on some apocryphal works and then to which they added. But those things got discarded along with Roman Catholicism, going back to basics, back to scripture, in other words, and so the King James Version translation was a wonderful translation, not a perfect one, but, you know, it actually got people, the masses in time, 
reading scripture and getting serious about God and learning his word for themselves and knowing what's biblical and what isn't. Yeah, right? true. Mm -hmm. So some great fruit that came out of that. And all this time you had Protestants thinking, well, the Antichrist is going to come out of Roman Catholicism. That's the beast system. So surprise, surprise, nope. Out of the Protestant communion, the Anglican communion is actually where he comes from. And we've talked about that in our prior interviews. And folks, I won't show or go into all the evidence for that today because we're going to talk about other things. Go back and see the prior interviews with the Goslings yeah. in sequence. Take the time to do that and then pick up here. If you haven't already seen them, do that now. And then come back to this, which picks up from those basically. Um, so with that little segue, uh, I return <laughs> to the topic at hand. <laughs> at any rate, nice. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Um, so, uh, Charles for decades has said he doesn't want to be known as defender of the faith, but defender of faith in a generic sense. Right. Yeah. And so for a long time, the British public which has become less and less Christian over that long time, mm -hmm. you know, along with the rest of the world, has been concerned that Charles would turn into some sort of pagan emperor, you know, or pagan king if he were to ascend the throne. You know, that he wouldn't present this same Christian veneer that his mother did, for example, or that his grandmother did, or her mother did, you know, his great grandmother did, you know, on down the line. You've got the British public and much of the world thinking, oh, this is a Christian monarchy, and here comes Charles, ready to spoil it all. <laughs> we can't have that, right? And mm -hmm. concerned over what would happen at the coronation. So there was talk in the British press of, will he change the Constitution? Will the Parliament or the British monarchy change the Constitution before he becomes king? You know, to enable him to have a broader role like he's taken on himself as Prince of Wales. You know, to speak so freely, which constitutionally he's not supposed to be doing. He's not supposed to be involved in politics and these kinds of things. Oh, he's yeah. supposed to be very neutral. At least that's the veneer that his mother gave, you know, to stay in power and to not rub people the wrong way publicly. You know, that's the veneer that was given for a long time prior to Charles taking over. So she was the longest reigning monarch in British history, in all history. One of the longest reigning monarchs, if not the longest reigning monarch globally in history. In wow. Fact. Charles was the longest serving Prince of Wales and the oldest person ever to, to uh, ascend the British throne in history. Really? Yep. Okay. So he is the oldest person ever to become monarch in history of the British uh, realm, still an empire. You know, I mentioned before, maybe to you folks that... Uh, they don't call them Knights of the British Commonwealth when they knight somebody. They call them KBE, Knights of the British Empire, because as far as the monarchy is concerned, the empire still exists. <laughs> the Commonwealth's just been hoodwinked to think they're not part of the empire anymore. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, at any rate, um, the public was concerned about this issue, and they thought, well, will the queen bypass Charles for William? You know, because Charles is seemingly so zany or into new age things and talking to plants and all these things the the popular nonsense, you know, it's that he actually does, you know, I say nonsense, not because it isn't true, but just the popular fluff that the press tended to focus upon rather than all the serious things he was doing to run the world literally behind the scenes since July, 1969. And folks, he has been running the world since July, 1969. 
literally. You know, uh, even having influence of Xi, over uh, Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, who are both members of the uh, World Economic Forum, both participants in it, for example, and by other means. Uh, without the global government, he's been running the world behind the scenes all this time. So there's a whole lot of that documented in the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea, both editions, but especially the second edition, which is massively updated. Lots happened since 1998 when the first edition came out. And mm, even sure. then, you know, I showed that he was running the world already yeah. at that point in that book. So the original edition. So coming back, um, Charles, when he became king because of his mother's death, which, by the way, was six months, six weeks and six days, literally, uh, before his coronation. And the date chosen for the coronation, May 6, 2023, if you add up the digits, you get 18, three times six. Oh, weird. Mm. And the night before <laughs> yeah. the coronation, a lunar eclipse. Mm, really? Didn't All know that. carefully chosen. All carefully chosen. So I'll circle back around to the pagan aspect with that lunar eclipse. I had a, there was someone in the comments, we mentioned that the other day, about six months, six weeks, and six days. Someone in the comments said, I did it on a calendar online and it it came up like a few days short but i did it on a calendar online as soon as i heard that from it wasn't from the queen's death it was from her funeral six months yeah from, then you stop there from her funeral and That's then from I that day yeah and then from there you go another six weeks exactly from that day and then from there you go another exactly six days and you land on may 6th every time yeah if i said death i met i misspoke i meant funeral okay yeah yeah. yeah. So, so and, and I think that person may have been yeah. using the death of Queen Elizabeth, not the public declaration of her death, which is the funeral. Well, you know, one of our Patreon uh, questions had to do with that. Um, one of our guys, American yeah. Cars, asked what the top three things you saw at the coronation were that support Charles being the Antichrist, which I'm sure you'll probably get to a lot of that. But he goes on to mention, I know it was 666 days after Queen Elizabeth's death, but funeral. Um, or at least I heard, but what hidden messages were there? Um, I think you're probably going to answer a lot of those questions anyways, but, uh, yeah, I, I will it, include all that in there. Yeah. So people have gotten confused hearing this thing and they, they, some have come back and said, so was it 666 days? Was it six months, six days and six hours? Uh, right. Yeah. But, yeah. but actually it was six months, six weeks and six days. Just to clarify months, weeks and days. Uh, after the queen's funeral and you know it gives you the impression that they chose the date for her funeral so that they could orchestrate it also you know as three times six or 18 may uh, 6 2023 to do it on that day mm. as well so i think there's a lot of planning you know this was carefully planned beforehand uh, there were two other instances of 666 though in the coronation which I will come back to, which I think nobody but me caught uh, globally. So I'll come back to those. And um, at any rate, when he ascended the throne and became king before he was coronated, before he was crowned, you know, one of the things that public uh, was told, and this was Charles trying to reassure the public, was that he would be known as defender of the faith, even though he thought it was important to protect other religions and quote unquote faiths, you know, and their their uh right to worship and believe as they choose throughout the british monarchy and really ostensibly the world okay so the public thought okay charles is going to be a more traditional kind of monarch so 
uh, taking a little hiatus from that for a moment, the public has thought the queen is, you know, some sort of a, was some sort of a Christian monarch, right? Yeah. 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 She was thoroughly anti-Christian her whole life. From the time that she was a princess, she was a servant of Satan. She was an actual Satanist. So were Charles' grandparents, both of them. So was Prince Philip, Charles' father. They were all Satanists. And I'm not just saying that. I provide proof in the second edition of the Antichrist and Cup of Tea, and I provided some evidence for that also in the first edition. But there's hard evidence for that, and it's given in the second edition of the book. You know, among those things are the fact that the red dragon was a central symbol for the queen. Mm-hmm. You know, she and all the above-mentioned individuals were inducted into Gorset Druidry in Wales. What's Gorset that? Gorset Druidry is a, is yes. a branch of neo-druidry that has the red dragon as its central symbol. Aren't there, aren't there videos, or not video, but films, I guess, uh, of uh, Queen Elizabeth engaging in those ceremonies when she's young? I thought photographs, I saw something. Yeah, photographs yeah, and film, primarily photos, but you can see good photos of her doing that, dressed in druidic garb. And yes. In fact, you can see similar photos for Charles' grandparents. Really? Likewise. Wow. Yep. They were all inducted into Gorset Druidry. And this is overtly satanic druidry. Okay, it's not just arts, art, artists, and bards and that kind of thing, like they try to claim publicly. This, you know, it's like Freemasons saying that they're not Satanists, you know, at the 32nd and 33rd degree, or for that matter, the fourth degree on up, mm-hmm. when in fact they are Satanists. Okay, they maintain facades for the public and deny the truth. It's very much like 1984 Newspeak, right? Calling good evil and evil good. Yep. Yeah, presenting a false exterior. And, love is uh, love. Yeah. So the one thing you don't ever see with the queen, you know, she frequently read scripture to the public and, you know, gave Christian Christmas messages and, you know, talked to Billy Graham about loving Jesus and this kind of thing. Right. But the one thing she never told anybody, including Billy Graham, and that she never said publicly is you have to believe in Jesus to be saved. Oh, of course. Never. Yeah. And she never rebuked Charles over any of his beliefs either for the same reason. And that's because they have the same beliefs. Well, she did until she went to hell. Or the truth, right? A little late. Gee, I can only be saved by believing in Jesus. <laughs> Whoops. You know? Whoops. Yep. Unfortunately, that train has sailed. It has sailed. And you know, and the fact is, um, her view was if you're a faithful Muslim, you'll go to heaven. You know, just like Charles. If you're a faithful Muslim, right. you worship the same God as Christians and Jews. That universalism. If you're a faithful Jew, you'll go to heaven. If you're a faithful Zoroastrian, you'll go to heaven. If you're a faithful Satanist, yeah, you'll probably go to heaven. If you're a faithful paganist, pagan, well, you go to your version of heaven, Mm -hmm. kind of thing, right? Um, So it's anything but the truth. Tolerance for everything but you know the truth, which is actually intolerant of lies. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that being said. The British public thought, oh, Charles is going to maintain this facade, right, as a quote-unquote Christian. And, you know, so much of the British public, they're so ignorant, you know, so stupid with regard to biblical Christianity, and I don't say that to be insulting. That's just a fact. They're ignorant of what the Bible actually says about salvation. The vast majority of the public, including those going to Anglican Protestant churches in the UK, you know, less so in other areas of the world, but in the UK, and even in the United States at this point, so many not understanding that sexual Satanism is, oh, satanic. Mm-hmm. You know, 
uh, female priest. Oh, satanic. Yes. Yes. Oh, Amen, and I did, yeah. You know, and that's another aspect of sexual Satanism that I cover in quite a bit of detail. The, the whole feminist deity thing and then usurping and inserting it into the church through mm -hmm. corrupting the priesthood in that way, too. Yeah. But, you know, this idea of lesbians being married and being priests or or sodomites being married and being priests, you know, mm -hmm. totally perverting everything you know, in terms of the nature God created, you know, for yeah. humanity, mankind. Uh, these, uh, it, you know, I could go on, but I won't. So <laughs> anyway, uh, what happened, though, is at the coronation, Charles, although he said the words at the same time, he said, and, and I can actually let me share my screen. Let's actually look at the exact wording that he used. OK. You know what's awesome? We talked about a lot of, for anybody who's watching the public version. We talked about a lot of that stuff in the Patreon only. And it was maybe one of my favorite conversations we've ever had with you, Tim. And I almost think yeah. we yeah. could do like a whole Patreon. When the Patreon gets really big, we're going to maybe do like a Patreon exclusive Tim interview where Ooh, we just man. talk about all that stuff. No holds barred. Yeah, uh, that, that'll be fun. All right, right. So you can see my screen, right? Yes. Yes, sir. All right. So this is the actual text of the coronation service. So in this portion of it, you've got Charles kneeling before the altar. And this is what he says. You know, he says, God of compassion, as if he's praying to the real God, right? Yeah. And then he says, grant that I may be a blessing to all thy children of every faith and belief. So right there, he's basically telling the world, you know, if you're non-Christian, you're still God's child. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Which is not true. That together we may discover the ways of gentleness and be led into the paths of peace. Well... Will non-Christians have peace at, peace at the end? No, they won't. Mm -hmm. Is Christ Jesus their Lord? No, he isn't. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So here he is invoking this idea of every faith and belief rather than defender of the faith. And come back to this. Let me see if he's got uh, the faith in here. And, you know, at first glance, now. that sort of thing looks legitimate. But when you take a 30,000 foot view of what all Charles is involved in, it adds a different color to it, you know, that changes how you interpret that stuff. Yes. If you know scripture, you these things stand out. Yeah. Right. So here you have the Archbishop of Canterbury, right? Mm -hmm. Who is pledging to be faithful to the sovereign Charles, calling Charles defender of the faith. Now, this is what the Archbishop of Canterbury is saying, right? Mm -hmm. This is not what Charles is saying. Mm. We saw where Charles was saying, uh, you know, every faith and belief, right? A blessing right. to all of every faith and belief. So you've got three individuals that pledge their fealty, well, two actually, um, to Charles before something else happens that was a big deal in the uh, event. Uh, but there are several other things I'll point out after this. So here you have the Archbishop of Canterbury, who's basically the Anglican Protestant counterpart to uh, the Roman Catholic Pope Francis, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Archbishop uh, of Canterbury, uh, Welby, is saying that he'll be faithful and true. You know, faith and truth he'll bear unto Charles as a sovereign. Then he says, defender of the faith. So he's calling, calling Charles defender of the faith. Yep, yep. Even after Charles has basically um, contradicted that, 
by saying that he wants to be a blessing to every faith and belief. You know, not that he wants to prevent violence against them, but he wants them to flourish mm -hmm. in essence, right? And then afterwards you get William, who's now the Prince of Wales, pledging his loyalty to Charles, right? As his liege man of life and limb, something similar to what Charles said to his mother uh, at his investiture as Prince of Wales in July, 1969, when she was possessed by Satan, by the way, at the time. And I covered that in the book. There's actual evidence for that. I'm not just saying that. There's there's hard evidence to indicate that she was actually possessed by the devil at the time that Charles did this and said this to her. Wow. At his July 1969 investiture. Mm -hmm. um, very compelling evidence. And people are probably thinking, what in the world could that be? <laughs> yeah. We're listening to this, right? Mm -hmm. Right, right. Get the book and find out because you'll find it quite shocking. I can't wait like, for that really, book to really come shocking. out. All right. And... Then the third thing is, you know, people heard before this is going to happen that Charles was going to ask the world to pledge allegiance to him. Something never done before in a coronation service like this, right? Hmm. And there were several never befores that I'll get into after this. But uh, what actually happened is the Archbishop of Canterbury said this to the world, to everyone who was watching and whoever would watch it later. I now invite those who wish to offer their support to do so with a moment of private reflection by joining and saying, God save King Charles at the end, or for those uh, with the words before them to recite them in full, I'll respond, and this is the clincher right here. I swear that I will pray, uh, pay true allegiance to your majesty and to your heirs and successors according to law. So help me, and I'm not saying this, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. not <laughs> right yeah. and then they invoke the lord's name yeah. so in other words it's like witchcraft what's happening here you know where they're trying to speak something into reality you know when you get into the uh word faith movement you know in so-called christianity yes yep what they're doing you know by trying to speak words and affirm those words is speak something into reality kind of like as kind of like little quote-unquote gods you know the lord spoke reality into existence that's exactly the what they God. believe that's exactly yeah. what they teach preach tim yes baby yeah but this is actually witchcraft and so in mm -hmm. wicca they try to do something similar you know which is where it really originates uh in counterfeiting god and that's what this is so they are trying to speak fealty to charles loyalty allegiance to charles as king if you will into the minds of the whole world yep yeah, and get mankind to kind of like when the devil wanted sovereignty over the earth, and so he deceived Adam and Eve to get it, right? Yeah. Kind of like that. Only in this case, to speak fealty to Charles, to the Antichrist, uh, into the minds of mankind. So here you have basically Charles as the Antichrist. You know, and this is, uh, I believe, after he's been crowned, uh, in fact. So after he's been behind the partition where nobody could hear what he was saying. Yeah. And I'll come back to what happened behind that partition. Uh, to pledge fealty to him. And for all we know at this point, in the event Charles was possessed by the devil, I'd be unsurprised if that was actually the case. Do I have proof of that? No. But I'll just toss that out there. So uh, those are some interesting tidbits, but I'll throw one other thing in here. 
You know, the false prophet in uh, Revelation 13, let me bring that up here. Um, yeah. So I'll bring up, sorry. Let's go to Revelation 13 and KJV. One of the things that the false prophet does, who's the beast from the earth, is he calls upon the world to follow after the first beast, which is Charles, the Antichrist. Okay, so the false prophet deceives uh, those that dwell on the earth by the signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. That's the Antichrist, Charles. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who is wounded by the sword and live. Now, that wound hasn't happened yet. That's coming. Right? Okay. And this false prophet causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark in the right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except to you as the mark of the beast, the image of the, you know, the name of the beast or the number of his name, right? Mm -hmm. And then up above here, it's, he exercises all the authority of the first beast, meaning the Antichrist, you know, who's possessed by the devil at that point, in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. In other words, to follow after the beast, right? So here's what Justin Welby did, right? He called the world effectively because it was Welby saying these words, right? as the antithesis to the Pope, the head of the Roman Catholic Church, he called the world to pledge fealty to Charles, right? To follow after him, okay? Mm -hmm. yeah. Same kind of role that the false prophet will play. Now, mixed in all of this is an effort to bring Anglican, uh, the Anglican communion back under Rome, back under the Pope. Hmm. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna come to that. So, in other words, is it Welby who might be the false prophet? I don't think so. But he is playing that role right here. And that's the point I'm making to Charles as the Antichrist. Even though Charles hasn't received the deadly wound yet. So, in other words, this is a type of foreshadowing of what's going to take place under the actual false prophet in relation to Charles as the Antichrist down the road. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I think I know where you're going with this. Okay. All right. So now let's talk about the uh, coronation. As if we haven't been, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So start with this image here. At the beginning of the coronation, Charles is led by the sword of state, which is being held by this lady right here. Oh, holding yeah. the sword yeah not a great image but screen grab from the coronation and so here you've got charles this is actually at the end of the coronation so it's not at the beginning but yeah anyway she leads him into the event and let me skip that that's not really the image i want so i'll just talk about it uh for the part that i was trying to bring up because i don't know if i've got an image ready to show right here yeah, the lady with the I sword i remember her the lady in the lake kind of thing there's somebody like arthurian overtures mm -hmm. seem, you know. yeah so i'll come back to these things but good looking lady point out, <laughs> could have been the sword yeah. <laughs> sword sells it yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> i won't comment 
Okay. <laughs> but you're Smart probably move. right. Anyway. <laughs> that's, that's, I have to do the same thing every day. Too. All right. <laughs> no yeah. comment. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, let me actually just, uh, maybe I'll bring up. No, I won't. It'll take us too long. So I'll say to this, I'll say this to folks, you can go onto YouTube and you can see the coronation and maybe I, maybe I can bring this up here. Let me see. I may have bookmarked it at the appropriate time. That's fealty. Start of the coronation. Let's try this one here. Just see where we end up. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I'm... I'm glad you're doing this, because if I was trying to play a YouTube video on my system, I would probably crash it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get myself mixed up with my tabs because I don't want to do it here, but I guess this is where I need to be doing it. So, okay. I'll mute this so we don't have the audio when this starts to play. So this is the beginning of the coordination here. Um, I want to go backward a little bit cool to that. when they are entering. Okay, so right, right here is good, I think. So these are the heralds. Mm -hmm. You know, it was the heralds who were responsible for the creation of Charles for all the achievement his coat of arms as Prince of Wales. It has that imagery of the first beast. Okay. And they're being led by this guy over here. I'd have to go back slightly, see if I can do that without... Um, I'll just play it from here. Maybe we'll get to it quickly enough. Uh, there we go. That's a good spot to pick it up. Okay, so this is the... Uh, well, he's part of the Welsh Anglican Protestant Church. I want to say he's the dean of... But I think he's the, the bishop of the, of the Welsh Anglican Protestant Church. Okay. He's carrying this cross, which was custom made. And I'll get back to this. It has two slivers in it from the Pope. Mm. Uh, but there are some things that are notable uh, after this. So we'll see them momentarily, the people who are following behind. Okay. So this is one of the bishops. Notice the mitre he's wearing? Yeah. All the clothes that the Anglican Protestant bishops were using at this event were borrowed from Pope Francis. Really? From the Roman Catholic Church. Yep. Wow. Yep. Justin Welby, the, the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury, didn't want to spend the money, supposedly, to have custom robes and so forth made for this event you know even though he's donated large sums of money to other things could have done this very cheaply by comparison you know had the church donate large sums of money he wanted to use roman catholic uh vestments and that's what they did mm. and i'll come back to that cross which is preceding them which also had something from the pope in it that's quite significant now you'll notice the heralds are proceeding, you know, after those priests and bishops, the heralds are preceding the non-Christians who are to participate in the ceremony. So this is the next thing that's never been done before in history. And by the way, 
the woman carrying the sword, it's always been a man in the past, never a woman. Yeah. Carrying the sword of state, that was one unique thing. Okay. To this point. So these are all non-Christians uh, oh. here who are participants in the event. Uh, nearly all of them non-Christians. They don't claim to be Christian, in other words. Wow. And we're getting into more of them, so Muslims and so forth. Starting to look a little diverse there. In Starting its to, yeah. Ideology. So anyway, yeah, Charles <laughs> had a, there was a Sikh, a Zoroastrian, uh, a Sunni Muslim, a Shiite Muslim, Shiite Muslim, um, a Hindu, a Buddhist, uh, a non-believing Jewess, in addition to the chief, quote-unquote, rabbi of the United Kingdom, Mervis, who spent the night with Charles the night before, hmm. the night on the lunar eclipse, slept in his home overnight, and then yeah. walked to this event. Yeah, did that so he could walk to this event, you know, and not violate, supposedly, the Sabbath. Yeah, the, the biblical Sabbath. So this mm -hmm. occurred on a Saturday morning. Right. And then there was a Roman Catholic archbishop who participated and blessed the event and blessed Charles on behalf of the Pope. Not wow. ever done since the split from uh, Roman Catholicism. Wow. The whole time the Anglican Protestant Church has existed, that was never once done before. Another sign that they wanted to bring the Protestant Church, the Anglican, Anglican Communion, back under the papacy of Rome. Yeah. Okay. So literally, again, here's Camilla about to enter. <clears throat> literally in a day, they destroyed 1,150 years roughly of this ceremony being performed the same way every time there was a coronation. Wow. They didn't change it. Uh, really, for the Anglican communion, you know, when the Anglican Protestant Church was founded, they pretty much left this intact, unchanged. And the wording, although very opulent and, and a turnoff in that sense to Christians who don't like all the opulence, right? Mm -hmm. The wording was strictly Christian, uh, more or less, with one exception, which I'll come back around to when we talk about the throne. So you'll notice that they're wearing... Um, um, red, more or less. Yeah. Capes, you know, on, or, and robes and capes. They'll change those out for royal purple ones afterward. Okay. On the royal purple one for Camilla, atop a it is a bunch of embroidery to make it look fancy and even um, resemble nature. But the, at the bottom of it is her... Um, cipher as queen which is similar to charles cipher as king so there are two letters in each of them cr for camilla regina or queen camilla and charles rex king charles yeah you know with a roman numeral three in the midst of charles well at the base of camilla's they made her cipher ornate and they had three sixes in the base of it no way and it's a top her royal purple robes, the one that she'll leave with. So when she's leaving and walking out, everybody facing her coming toward them and seeing that cipher at the bottom of her robe, we're seeing 666 wow. at the base of her cipher. That's the third instance of 666 associated with us. There is one more that I'll come to later. All right. 
So now they're entering to have the coronation, right? And so you've got the uh, royal flag. This is the Scottish uh, red lion. Mm -hmm. uh, the lions of England or Tarshish, lion leopards or lions of England in this case. Mm -hmm. The uh, royal flag uh, for uh, Britain and, and the UK actually. More crosses. And one thing I want to point out here, you'll notice there are no vergers in any of this. Vergers. Vergers. I'll come back to what that term is. Okay. But just, you know, put a thumbtack in that. Verger. What is a verger? Got it. No vergers in this. And they would be people dressed all in black, you know, uh, with the right kind of hood, some of them, looking like uh, ghouls. Okay. Anyway, ah. so come back to that. Nobody dressed in a, in a uh, black kind of a cape and I'll show that <laughs> in a moment. So in fact, let's put a, a thumbtack into this for a moment uh, altogether and let's watch a little video. Um, where do I have I it? I think I know where this is going. This might yeah. have to do with our other patrons question. Yeah. It might. Yeah, Jody okay. S. asked about this in particular. Yep. Uh, Christmas came early this year, baby. <laughs> okay, so let's catch this twice. Uh-huh. There he goes. So that's a verger? Well, I'll come back to that. So that's happening inside Westminster Abbey. Okay. And notice what's over this right here. You see this arch right here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So right here is a triangular arch curved at the bottom, but otherwise triangular with an all-seeing eye type emblem in the center. Mm -hmm. Luciferian all-seeing eye. So I'll show you that, come back to that. But anyway, the verger or whatever it was passed yeah. right here. People were looking at this image and uh, this is before the coronation, okay? Before Charles and so forth came in. Okay. I'll pull up an image I pulled off uh, the internet here of the same thing, just enlarged a little bit. Okay. Okay. So this person had a staff. You can see that pretty clearly actually in the video. And maybe I shouldn't have. I don't see if somebody can notice it or not in this video. Kind of, but. Yeah. He's and carrying we'll... a staff that goes down at an angle here. Let me uh, mute this thing. Uh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. We can't hear it. It's okay. You can't hear it. Okay. It's yeah. playing loudly in my ear. All right. <laughs> so anyway, there's a staff that goes out at about a 45 degree angle from from his hand and sticks out a bit past his shoulder. Mm -hmm. This individual who's going here. So people looked at this online and they said, wow, Grim Reaper, angel of death. That's what everybody thought. It was their first impression. And that yeah. is a very, very significant first impression. Right? Nobody mm -hmm. else could figure out what in the world is that, right? So there are three possibilities. Angel of death, right? Uh, somebody pretending to be the angel of death in a costume, right? Mm -hmm. Or a verger. Well, actually, there's four possibilities, I suppose, if I throw the pretending in. Uh, or a verger or a druid. 
there are druids who have similar robes, you know, with a hood like that. Right. Yeah. There are vergers. Most vergers have, uh, when they're wearing any kind of a hat or a cap, a black cap that has a very different design. But there are, I did find a photo online, uh, a group photo of vergers where presumably the chief verger, whoever he was, had a staff just like the one that we see here in the better images going across this doorway here, the person that's carrying it, a staff just like that one that he was holding, but not with the kind of hooded robe that this individual who's crossing here is wearing. So we go back to this. Okay, so not with um, this hooded kind of a robe, uh, you know, with his head fully exposed, in other words. So there are vergers who wear robes like this and they're, they're generally black. Now in this, I did enlarge it and it gets some chromatic aberration potentially where it looks like it's a dark green. So it may actually be black or it could be dark green. Most likely it's black. And people looked at this and there was one image online showing a sickle at the back, you know, of this staff. Mm. That's fake. Don't believe that folks. That's fake. There wasn't a sickle, but uh, at any rate, this could be a verger, but there are no vergers listed anywhere in the order of service or ceremony. There shouldn't have been one there, in other words. And vergers are basically helpers to the Greek Orthodox priesthood. That's what they are. Oh, Interesting. Okay. They're not priests themselves, but they dress in black and these black robes. But generally, only a few of them will have these hoods like this. So could very well be a verger, but again, not mentioned in the order of service or anywhere in connection with this that I could find. Shouldn't have been there, in other words. And this couldn't have happened accidentally because this is inside the abbey mm -hmm. and everything was planned out to the nth detail. So this was either on purpose with a verger, on purpose with a druid, or you know, some dark, demonic, angelic slash appearance, the least likely of the above. Uh, but nonetheless... The important thing is everyone who saw this thought angel of death and you find that all over the news on this. Yeah. Right? Directly associating Charles and his coronation with death and the angel of the death, angel of death. Mm -hmm. The reason that is so significant is because uh, one of the titles, you know, that people very loosely use for the Antichrist is angel of death. You know, or more often grim reaper, grim reaper, right? You know, just non-Christians, loosely speaking, of the fourth horseman or this kind of thing. And you yeah. find it in artwork, too, where you've got the angel of death riding the fourth horse sometimes. Mm -hmm. Okay? All right. So coming back to this on Charles as the Antichrist for a moment and why this imagery of death is so significant in connection with his crowning. Um, close that for a moment here. Um, and come back to Scripture. If we go to Revelation chapter 6, verses 7 to 8, which is the passage on the fourth horse and its rider, or the fourth horseman, who comes into view at the midpoint, the fourth year roughly, of the last seven years of Daniel's 70th, 70, you know, 490 years of Daniel 9, 24 to 27, the last yeah. seven years, the tribulation week. Yeah. Yeah, in that fourth week, the great tribulation begins, or the last three and a half years preceding Armageddon. Well, under that fourth year, roughly at the midpoint of the tribulation week or at the start of the great tribulation, uh, the Antichrist receives the fatal wound, is possessed by the devil and recovers.
from that fatal wound in a world, in a way or in a manner that the world starts to worship him literally and follow after him. Okay. But prior to that, he begins to ride as the fourth horseman before he's even possessed, you know, ostensibly by the Antichrist, he begins to ride. But ultimately, his name is Death. That is the name of the rider of the fourth horse. He's called Death. And Hades, hell's, hell, pardon me, follows with him. Okay? Okay. All right. The devil, his name is Death. And I don't recall if I shared any of this in our prior interview. If I did, I'm repeating this part. But the devil is named death and he's the last enemy who will be destroyed. Hmm. Yeah, of course, by man came death. In this case, death came by sin, right? Because of mankind's sin. Mm -hmm. But the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And if we search this word death in this passage, we get to the combination of death and Hades. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Right? Death is swallowed up in victory you know, with Armageddon and then ultimately at the end of the millennial kingdom. So at the end of Christ's thousand year reign, and this is Revelation chapter 20, we get this this talk of death again, death and Hades. So at the end of the millennial kingdom, when there's the great white throne judgment, Mm -hmm. death and Hades are delivered up. You know, the dead that are in, uh, the dead who are, Let me just read it. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. I'm stumbling over my words. And death and Hades delivered up the dead bodies who were in them, and they were judged, right? And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Right here? Yeah. That's at the end of Christ, that was in your reign. So Satan is called death. And Judas Iscariot, everyone will recall, was possessed by Satan right before he went to betray Christ. Right. For the crucifixion, right? Right. The devil possessed Judas, entered him. Judas was thus called the son of perdition or the son of destruction. That word perdition, and you only see it translated that way generally in the King James Version or the New King James Version, usually. Uh, But it's a unique word for destruction in the Greek text. And there are only two individuals in Scripture called the son of perdition. One was Judas Iscariot, who was possessed by Satan before he went to betray Christ. The other one is the Antichrist, Charles, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 who is called the son of perdition right here. This passage is not yet fulfilled. This refers to a point where he's already possessed by the devil. Okay. Okay. And I've talked about this in our prior interviews. One of them, I believe. But when he's mortally wounded, the devil will enter him and he'll recover from that wound in a way that the world starts to worship him. And it's Satan whom they'll be worshiping, who will be looking out through Charles' eyes having possessed him as the Antichrist at that point, okay? And at that point, Charles also is the son of perdition, the second one of Scripture in the future. So here's where I'm going with all of that. Charles' name, when he's possessed by the devil, will be death. That's his name biblically at that time. Okay. All right. So for him to now be associated when he's being crowned with death is very significant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And there were two crowns. Actually, there were three at his coronation. Most people don't know that. There were three that he received in a sense. The first one was the least obvious 
and also the most important biblically. So let me come to that. So on his invitation, right here, this, by the way, let me contrast it with his mother's invitation. This was the queen's, his mother's 1953 invitation to her coronation, mm -hmm. June 2nd, 1953. You'll notice right here at the bottom, it has various emblems of knighthood and uh, monarchy. These are the actual emblems that were presented to her and used in her coronation as queen. Supposed Christian symbols and supposed symbols of chivalry, knighthood, right here. Actual symbols of knighthood, actually, with a sword. Okay, that's her coronation invitation. Okay. This was Charles. See any differences? <laughs> All right, so Charles yeah, yeah. received, yeah, he received new heraldic achievements as king. His old one as Prince of Wales did not go away. It's still his heraldic achievement by which he's known globally. Mm, interesting. It will never go away. It's his forever. Yeah. Under international law. Even if even if the title Prince of Wales for him has been, they call it absorbed, quote unquote, you know, under the crown. Right? So now mm -hmm. he's known as king. Despite that, his heraldic achievement as Prince of Wales remains his. These are new heraldic achievements right here. So okay. this is his new heraldic achievement as king. There are two of these. One has the helm. You'll notice this one does not have the helm. And right. when I'm talking about the helm, just to clarify that for those who might be not recalling or tuning into this for the first time. In fact, I'll look at the lower resolution of this for a reason here in a moment. I'll bring up in a moment. Um, all right, this is the helm right here. Mm -hmm. yeah. And a crown is above the helm. Mm -hmm. So on this there's no helm this is his majesty's government heraldic achievement for the king in other words when the government is using the king's heraldic achievement they don't have the helm on it because they are not the sovereign charles on the other hand has the helm so to show that for a moment there's a third in other words there's a third version or a second version of this granted to him as king and here you go. Right here. Oh, yeah. So this was on the chair, and this is not his precise heraldic achievement, but it's like it. So this one has the crown over the helm. This goes back to a prior king. They just reused the same chairs with the prior king's heraldic achievement. But this is basically the king's, you know, they substituted it. In other words, to Charles, they got cheap. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they got cheap. It's the Kmart okay. uh, heraldic achievement. Yeah. They didn't get cheap for Camilla because there was no prior version for her to use. <laughs> I'll show hers in a moment, right? So on the front and back. She's already the cheap these, version. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> so on the front and back of both of these chairs, they had the heraldic achievement one for the king, one for the queen, Camilla. Mm -hmm. You'll notice here, this is hers. Right. Right here. Okay, they had to actually redo that one for her. And when we go back to the coronation invitation, that's why I brought this up. Here is her heraldic achievement as queen, but it's the state version. 
in this case, Her Majesty's government, His Majesty's government. Both are missing the helm on this, mm -hmm. but the helm is present. Uh, sorry, I guess I, I must have closed that image. Um, I'll just go back to it. Uh, where is it? There we go. Yeah. Probably hard to see it, but, um, well, no, the helm is not present. Hers, she doesn't have a helm. I don't know what I'm saying. Never mind. But <laughs> she's never going to have a helm. Uh, but she does have her crown on it. And when I come back to this, so anyway, this is hers. This is Charles. You'll notice there are boars on hers, mm, a yeah. blue boar yeah. and a white boar's head. They modified the boars, and I've never seen this done in heraldry before. It's the first time I've ever seen this. So that the tusks look like a single horn. Oh, Normally, yeah. you'd see the second tusk here in the background, uh -huh. and it wouldn't be that long, usually. But you'd see the second one in the background. They removed that to make hers look like a unicorn of sorts. Mm -hmm. And you'll notice the hooves here. These are boars' hooves. The unicorn, including on Charles' heraldic achievement as Prince of Wales, the unicorn has boar's hooves. Oh, weird. So a horse's body, weird elements of a goat, like a, a mane, you know, for example, of a goat. And they're not showing that clearly here. But if we look at his heraldic achievement, you do see it right here. Mm -hmm. So a horse's body, goat's mane, boar's hooves. Mm. Uh, the eyes of a man on his unicorn. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but... So, so these elements, these beasts are all repeated in here. So you've got uh, the lion leopard for, for Charles, for his majesty's government on his coat of arms as Prince of Wales. It's a lion leopard bear beast, as we talked about before. And then you have the boar for Camilla here. And somewhere here, there's the unicorn right there. And then they added the B, presumably for the Jacobites, tying in with the Illuminati and the Priory of Zion and the Knights Templar and all that. The B for the Jacobites. And then a butterfly for resurrection. Mm -hmm. And I'll come back to why that's significant in a moment, a blue butterfly. And then the most significant symbol of all, right here. I was going to ask. Do you see man. a crown? Do you see a crown? I do. On the mm -hmm. green man's head? Yeah. Crown of thorns. Oh, it is a crown of thorns. Yep. With an acorn atop. Oh, wow. Weird. Okay. In other words, suggesting that Charles, and this, by the way, is the imagery of death, this greenish, greenish symbolism. It's a chimera between uh, like a lion's face and a man's face. Yep. Mm -hmm. But it's meant to represent a skull with flora growing out of it, flora and fauna growing out of it, including out of its mouth. It represents death. <laughs> the Green words. New Deal. It has yeah. horns, too. It has horns. And it represents death. Yes, they've hidden the horns right here for the devil in the flora. Good catch. That is nice. correct. Yeah. With the crown of thorns and the acorn atop. All symbols of paganism and of a counterfeit death and resurrection. And the green man, if you tie it back to its ostensible, its supposed uh, pagan origin, and I talk about this in the second edition of the book, is literally associated as a counterfeit of Christ with death and resurrection. Hmm. So here Charles is intimating his future death and resurrection. 
<laughs> as a counterfeit Christ for paganism. Yeah. You know, in other words, defender of faiths, mm -hmm. you know, protector of religions and everything <clears throat> satanic, but, you know, God's truth and only God's truth, right? And supplanting worship of Father God with Mother Earth. Ooh. Correct. All right. So here's Camilla. She's dressed a little more fancily than at one point. Mm -hmm. And another royal lady and another one behind her. They're all dressed in these white gowns that are really very plain compared to what was done in the past. Yeah. Okay. And so people compared them online. Some people did to druidic robes. Mm, that virginal yeah. white druidic. Yeah. Thing. Correct. In all the past coronations, I mean, everything for which there's any kind of painting or photographic or film footage, any kind of photographic imagery or painting, mm -hmm. the women were always dressed very ornately and, you know, in the fancy dresses of the time. They weren't dressed like this in a, in a very plain sense, you know, for quote unquote royal women. Yep. Yeah. So people got the idea, the notion here that there was something druidic happening in the ceremony. Now we looked earlier at that angel of death, right? Who could have been a druid. So you've got, in other words, the, the floral imagery and the druidic connection uh, from just the, the invitation itself, the green man head, right? Mm -hmm. The druidic, Wiccan, pagan connection, it's actually all there in the green man head. And I personally concluded uh, several years ago in the draft edition of the Antichrist and Cup of Tea that Charles was the green man from his activities in paganism and witchcraft. Mm. Wow. I'd already drawn that conclusion and stated that in writing, you know, at length mm -hmm. uh, in the draft of the book. And then all of a sudden here he comes and chooses the green man to mm. be the most important symbol on his invitation to the 2000 guests. Right. Okay. Another thing never done before in history. So direct involvement of pagans this is what we covered so far mm -hmm. calling the world to pledge allegiance to him in effect through the archbishop of Canterbury. Cause you know, Charles had to approve that for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I don't know. There's an end then there somewhere. So you got the green <laughs> then, man, yeah. the druid, druid connection. Oh yeah. All the pagan participation. Yes. But, but there's more to that, uh, in, in this. So all these floral arrangements are, are seen in a different sense on the robe that Charles ultimately wore, you know, by the time he was departing. So at one point they disrobed him and all he had on was a green short, green shirt, excuse me, a white shirt, plain white shirt, like something you'd wear to bed. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, um, some dark pants, you know, and some shoes that looked like they were, you know, straight out of the Puritan age. <laughs> Well, you know, Tim, it's right. it's getting close to nappy time for uh, for old Chucky, so he's got to be comfortable. I mean, come on, yeah, he's gotta have his that looks like what I throw on when I walk out to the mailbox. Yeah, in the morning. Yeah. Is it that color of gilded flecking, or is it? Uh, well, it needs to little... be washed, but I can yeah. shine it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so this was, I believe, made. They they claimed it came from a prior prior monarch, but I don't believe that's the case. It was made for Kent Charles, and it has an eagle for the clasp right oh, here. Yeah. Gold, oh yeah, gold gold eagle. Yeah, think of Roman emperors, right? Yep. A gold yeah, for the class. Yep. And on it is all kinds of flora and fauna. 
nature scenes atop the gold. And then this is something else. I forget what they call this right now. Um, I think it's supposed to represent somebody doing ballet, which is really weird. Oh, that is weird. Yeah. Okay. And, and then I think there are birds on here somewhere. I, I can't point them out easily, but from what I read, you know, <laughs> about this. Anyway, it's very nature-esque. Yeah. You know, besides being royal and besides being, you know, Roman. Yeah. So Charles is now heading to do a variety of things. One of the things they did is they made custom Bibles for this event. And this is a tradition for each coronation going back for, for hundreds of years. And there were three that were commissioned for Charles. Um, this is the one that was used by him only. There were only two of these that were made. Uh, I believe just two, one of which was used in the coronation. And you'll notice his heraldic achievement is on the front. Oh, yep. Mm -hmm. As king. This is his royal achievement. So it has the crown. Mm -hmm. And um, again, they were cheap. They didn't change this up for Charles' new one that has his crown as the sovereign with the seven bars. Mm -hmm. And in fact, let me actually show that. This is the official artistic rendering of Charles' heraldic achievement as king. And you'll see it has the helm with the seven bars, right? Yeah. So they got cheap on the backrest of that chair and cheap on the Bible. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. Okay. So that being shown, um, come back to where I was on this. Um, let me come back to the coronation itself. So, with that Bible, Charles kisses it at one point, reads, there's some reading out of it, including by a Hindu. And it was a great passage of scripture that the Hindu read, which was actually the prime minister of the UK. He actually read a, a really good passage out of scripture, but as a non-Christian. Yeah, this is his portion of participating in the symbol, in the, uh, in the event. So here's another interesting thing. So the oil that was used to... Um, and, and I won't get to all of it. There's more in the books, fo book, folks, even though I'm covering a lot today. The oil that was used to anoint Charles as king before he was crowned behind the screen, and we'll get to the screen in a moment, was poured out of this ampulla. You see this bird-like ampulla? Mm -hmm. This is actually a flask. And let me show a better image of it. Okay, flask, you're speaking our language. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> It's okay. Tell us all about it. <laughs> Lagavulin, you know, maybe Lafroig. You want to put this 18. behind the Patreon paywall too. Much. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Wow, look at that. Okay, there it is. So they call this an ampulla. In the news media and the live television where, where they were talking about this, you know, where they were showing it, getting ready to anoint Charles. They called this thing an eagle, an eagle-like bird, mm -hmm. which it obviously is not. <clears throat> right. Do you know what it is? A cormorant? Good. You didn't read the text. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> it's a, a phoenix. It's a phoenix. Of course Straight out of is. Egyptian mythology, having yep. to do with death and resurrection. And Standing atop the fiery coals right here. Yep. Shown in gold. And they put the oil inside this thing. Wow. To anoint him. 
And the oil was produced in Jerusalem from olives grown on the Mount of Olives. Really? Yep. Is that like a special that. blasphemy that they're doing? Actually, they crowned Charles king of Israel. Oh, wow. They didn't tell the public, but that's what they were doing. And in fact, if you go back, and this is documented in the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea, Elizabeth II was officially coronated queen of thy people Israel, quote unquote. And the British monarchy officially claims to sit upon King David's throne. And they have for more than a century made that claim explicitly publicly. Right. So Charles was crowned king of Israel and claims to sit upon the throne of David today. Not just king of the United Kingdom or king of those Commonwealth nations that acknowledge the British monarchy as their king. And he was anointed with oil from this ampulla. The oil from Jerusalem. Mm-hmm produced in Israel, in an ecumenical production, in fact. So that's documented in the book, too. Uh, or ecum yeah, with ecumenism, I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, ecumenism, yeah. Yeah, but uh, at any rate, that's what they used. And so atop the poles, and I guess I need to backtrack here, there was a screen that was used. And in fact, maybe I've, whoops, sorry. I pushed a button I need, didn't mean to push um, or a thing. Do the powers uh, of Israel as a nation state recognize their claim? Yes and no. Okay. So there have been people since the 1970s in Israel asking if Charles could be the Messiah. Wow, really? Since right after his investiture. Yeah. Among the public. There have been quote-unquote rabbis, and I call them quote-unquote because in my mind they're not real rabbis. Um, mm -hmm. And besides the fact that the Lord said, call no man rabbi, who are unbelievers who among themselves have questioned whether he could be the Messiah. Yeah. You know, knowing that the British monarchy claims to sit upon the throne of David. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the queen was a woman. So the Messiah hadn't come yet so far as they were concerned from that line mm. or, or wasn't yet. But maybe it could be Charles, you know, if he ascended the throne or, or even if he didn't potentially, if they were to crown him in Israel. And I'll come back to that. So uh, they made this canopy or this uh, partition, this, this three part yeah. thing, almost like a cubicle, but missing a side mm -hmm. um, right here. And atop it are eagles. Atop each of the posts are Roman again, these two posts right here. Mm -hmm. And on both the left and right sides, and on all three interior sides are crosses. And on this one external side is a fake or counterfeit tree of life. Oh, and I can show a better image of it, but because I know. Oh, what I is that thing on the one. bottom? um it's got like some weird bulb at the root yeah i think i have yet to organize uh my images from well it was pretty recent and there's a ton of material yeah yeah no but anyway i've been busy i have been really really busy so let's see here if this one is higher res or not i've got a bunch of images of this thing Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, still not good enough, but good enough to describe what I want to talk about.
Okay. So each of the leaves has the name of one of the Commonwealth nations in it. Wow. And you've got birds feeding their young here. And then you've got two angelic proclamations and a dove at the top, all with a sun disk behind them representing, you know, ostensibly God, but really, you know, Ra of ancient Egypt or Baal mm -hmm. or this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then Charles Cipher as king at the base of this tree. This is a fake tree of life. Okay. And its members, you know, nesting in its leaves and, and its leaves itself are the Commonwealth nations. Now, in the first edition of the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea, I quoted Charles as stating that he effectively wants the whole world to be part of the Commonwealth. Yeah. He literally doesn't want it to be called the British Commonwealth. He wants it to be the Commonwealth of Nations. Okay. And at the base of this is a phrase uh, that basically is all shall be well and all, all manner of thing shall be well. But it's kind of an incantation of sorts. And I address this in the book. In essence, it's another nature, nature theme, and it's like a fake tree of life. And its participants are those who are under Charles. And Charles wants the whole world to be under him. Mm -hmm. Okay. So behind this, when this was happening, they played a lot of loud music. And this it's behind this that the oil is poured on him. So they poured the oil on his head, his chest, <clears throat> and his arms or his shoulders yeah i'm you know, glad they uh hands. covered that up because that's a charles chest is the last thing i want to say for sure for sure <laughs> right well there's you know charles here is a counterfeit christ right mm -hmm. an antichrist in this role you know we've got the imagery of death and resurrection associated with him in multiple ways already in this whole event um <coughs> but uh you remember Mary Magdalene when yeah. she uh, anointed Christ's feet before the crucifixion? That's exactly with the what I was thinking oil? of. Yep. Mm -hmm. She chose his feet, right? Because he actually came as a servant mm -hmm. in reality, right? In this event, Charles was basically reiterating that he serves. You know, we know he serves the devil because his heraldic achievement as Prince of Wales says, I, the Black Prince, the Prince of Darkness, serve Satan, right? Mm -hmm. We covered that in, a, in our prior interview. That's what it literally says and means. Yeah. He's a servant of the devil, has been from the start. Okay. But Charles is constantly emphasizing in this thing service. And in it, he basically says he's come to serve in this event when he's crowned. And here's my point Christ was anointed as the true servant on his feet. Charles was not anointed on his feet, he was anointed on his arms, chest, and head. You're right? Rebuking, right. in other words, where, where Christ was anointed in a sense. Mm. Mm -hmm. So that's the point I want to make on that. Yeah, Interesting. an inversion. Okay. Now, behind this partition was not just Charles. There was also a throne behind this partition. So here it is. It's called St. Edward's Throne. So there were five chairs in this event, you know, related to the royals, the throne on which he sat as king, right, where he was crowned and where he was anointed, this one right here that was behind the partition. There were the two chairs that I showed you that he'll sit on and Camilla will sit on later. And then both at the start and in the midst of the ceremony, multiple times on these right here with a stool before them. 
So this was Camilla's with her cipher. And this is Charles with his cipher. Okay. Okay. They each sat on it. And the Bible was sat atop this when Charles kissed it. Yeah, you know, and read from it. You remember Judas Iscariot kissing Christ on the cheek right before he betrayed him? Yeah. Right. This is the antithesis to that, Charles kissing God's word. Wow. Whoops. Didn't mean to do that. I'm trying to make the image larger. All right. Camilla Cipher. If you were to look at this from the top down, like uh, mm. let's do a vertical mm. flip. Uh, vertical flip. Yeah. Okay. That's fun. Top down. There we go. Do you see three sixes hidden in the base? Sure do. Even if they're flipped? Yep. To make it hard to notice? Mm -hmm. Okay. So when Camilla was walking toward people leaving with this atop her robe, this is the perspective from which people would have seen it, those who happened to wow. catch her. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So like the bride of the devil, the Antichrist, like the bride, you know, like the fake church, following behind him was 666. Yeah. In a sense, that's how I think of that. Um, yeah, I can't undo it. I have to reopen it. Never mind. Okay. So coming back to this throne for St. Edward, in the base of it is something called the Stone of Skin. Mm -hmm. And British and UK royals have for many centuries, well, several centuries, alleged that this is uh, the stone upon which Jacob rested his head. Uh, you know, when the angels were ascending up and down the ladder that he saw in his vision. Yeah. So they call this Jacob's headstone or pillar stone, and they call it the stone of schoon. It's pronounced schoon, but it sounds like it's written like scone, but the stone of skin, and they call it the stone of destiny. Anyway, uh, they use this as some sort of um, symbol of the right to be king. Mm -hmm. And these kings, you know, for centuries, uh, Scottish and British and English, you know, have been crowned atop this stone and anointed atop this stone in the base of this chair. And this chair is, uh, I think, 700 years old. I could be wrong about that, but I have to go look. It's old. And so the stone was moved from Scotland to put in the base of the chair, and they're going to give it back to Scotland. They already have probably, actually, since this event. But what we actually know scientifically you know, based on testing of this thing, is that it's Scottish sandstone. Okay. Didn't come from the Middle East. In other okay. words, it's a fraud. Mm -hmm. It's a fraud. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> they've used it to sucker the public for a very long time. But what it also is that the public does not realize is a Druidic Logan stone and a Druidic throne stone and a Druidic altar stone. Logan stone is, is both those things. So... So the Druids would use that in their ceremonies, including for human sacrifice, oh, but also yeah. for anointing. <clears throat> yep. So in other words, when Charles was anointed atop this, it was arguably Druidic. Mm -hmm. So they aren't just wearing you know, ro gowns, the women that look somewhat Druidic, but, but Charles was anointed atop a Druidic Logan stone or throne stone sitting on this chair behind that partition. And so one of the things that they did that was different, you know, from all past such events, if I, if I go back to this, where, uh, where the anointing 
took place. I don't know, maybe I pick it up right there with this right here. Let's see. That's next. No, this is this is afterwards, so let me find the footage of the partition stuff. There we go. Right there. Okay, so you can see the crosses, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now they're they're actually taking it away from Charles right there. So I'll go back a little further. So when everybody's supposed to be able to hear, you know, what he's saying behind that partition, you know, in the past it was actually always a canopy. <clears throat> yeah, in the past it was not a partition like that. Okay, so here they're bringing it now to crown him. They're going to set up the partition and all that and female bishop involved mm -hmm. not done in the past okay i'll pause it for a moment right here you see this up here yeah okay that's the thing behind which the verger passed or right. the angel of death or whatever it was yeah right okay. yeah and I don't think I've gone too far forward. Oh, there we go. Now they're finally setting it up. All mm. right. Around the throne. Okay. Uh-huh. Now, in the past, this would have been a chuppah, a Jewish canopy. And it was held on all four poles by Knights of the Garter, of the Order of the Garter. Oh, yeah. And you can actually see that in the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II in 1953. In film footage, you can pull it up, for example, on YouTube, YouTube and actually watch it. And people would have been able to hear what she was saying, you know, when she was um, taking oaths and saying different things. And when they were praying certain things, you know, associated with Solomon, like the prayer to Zadok, ostensibly out of scripture and this kind of thing, the public would have heard all that. Uh, and there wasn't loud music, you know, masking it. But for this, they completely encircled Charles, except for the front where the Archbishop of Canterbury is going to come in and anoint him and put the crown on his head and all that. And they played loud music. You know, there was loud um, hymns and so forth occurring so that nobody could hear what was being said or, or see what was being done. You know, behind this fake tree of life, uh, I suspect that the devil possessed the Archbishop of Canterbury when he was crowning Charles here. And that the devil entered Charles for part of this, you know, before the Archbishop was calling the world, you know, to pledge allegiance to Charles. Mm -hmm. I would be unsurprised if Charles was possessed by Satan at that point in the ceremony, you know, as the son of perdition. But at any rate, so you got more eco-fascist themes occurring around mm -hmm. all this. And by the way, here's a good image. I should have just noticed this. I should have pointed this out earlier of the women in their white gowns. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Very different from anyone else in the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So behind this, Charles is getting oil from Jerusalem poured on his head, you know, mm -hmm. uh, as the king. And you know what the word Christ and uh, or Christos and Messiah or Mashiach mean? Anointed you know the one. literal translation. Oh, yeah. Anointed, anointed one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, anointed. That's what it means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Charles was 
made Messiah behind this. You could argue that. Mm -hmm. Over Jerusalem. Oil yeah. used Jerusalem. Yeah, and crowned king of Israel here. So as far as he's concerned and the British monarchy is concerned, he is king of Israel today. Wow. And there are quote unquote rabbis looking at him in the in the uh, in Israel, right? Who are viewing him as potentially the Messiah. Man. And I'm not just saying that. And in <laughs> fact, it was announced more than once on national television in Israel. This was also documented and mentioned in the Antichrist and Capiti, the first edition in 1998, that that Charles was pronounced as a descendant of King David in Israel. Oh, that's right. Yep. Decades ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. So here's what comes next. Well, I'll, I'll skip that. I'll come to what comes after the ceremony in the near future a, a bit later because there's more to this. But at any rate, so Charles, after being crowned, is going to receive certain things. So he gets this gold robe that's very fancy. This is under the one that I showed you with all the oh, foliage yeah. and so forth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's getting a number of things. And from here forward, you know, and it's the, they're taking the sword back from him. It was that same lady who gave the sword to um, one of the bishops or the Archbishop of Canterbury directly. I don't remember, but ultimately the Archbishop of Canterbury had it, handed it to Charles, got it back from him. And now they're putting it back up here later. They'll give it back to the lady. And then from here forward, it's uh, pretty much all non-Christians who are giving him aspects mm. that are key elements of his sovereignty and key elements of knighthood as king. Now, one other thing I'll point out on the front and back of this chair, you have the all-seeing eye capstone. Hmm. And on the front of it is the head of the sovereign when he's sitting in it. He is the all-seeing eye. His head is. That's creepy. Right. The Luciferian all-seeing eye. Okay, so here we go forward a little bit more. All right. So I said there were three crowns. The first one was the crown of thorns. And here's a very important point that I did not make earlier and uh, meant to. This is a Stephanus in Greek. Mm -hmm. Okay. The crown of thorns placed upon, upon Christ at the cross was a Stephanus. It's a victor's crown, in other words. Right. So there are... You know, typically people think of the the victor's crown as something made of wreaths, mm -hmm. like uh, somebody laurel. receive in a Roman or a Greek game, you know, upon winning. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Laurel, uh, a, a wreath of laurels or a or laurel wreath, I guess I'm trying to say. But it can also be a crown of thorns. Uh, the reason that's significant is a lot of people want other reason, like we haven't had enough, right? <laughs> one other reason is that at the beginning of Revelation chapter six, and I'm going to come back to this in a moment. The rider of the white horse, whom I have said in a prior interview is not Charles, okay? Mm -hmm. Is a different antichrist. There are, there are different antichrists among the horsemen of the apocalypse, the four horsemen, the first four. But he is given a crown right here. That is not a corona. 
like coronavirus. It's not right. that kind of crown. Right. It is a Stephanos, a Victor's crown. Yeah. Here's why that's significant in relation to Charles. Ultimately, all the horsemen are riding together when you get to the fourth horseman, right? Mm -hmm. And it says power is given to them, plural, over fourth of the earth, right here. Yeah. Now, some interpreters will say, well, that's death in Hades. That's the them, right? Others understand it isn't just death in Hades. It's the other three horsemen, you know, that preceded Charles, you know, out of the gate, as it were, in sequence. Okay. Okay. But the point is, Charles wraps up in him what all the other antichrists of history, history have been, including the other antichrists of the apocalypse, meaning the, the prior three horsemen, even though they're going to be riding with him, ultimately, so they're riding simultaneously when you get to this passage, they're also wrapped up in him. So, for example, uh, he will kill with a sword. That's the second horseman. Right. With hunger, that's the third. With death, that's him the fourth, and by the beasts of the earth. That's the first three also. Okay? So they're all under his authority, if you will. So the fact that Charles receives here at his coronation, a Stephanus, not just a diadema or a diadem, you know, a royal crown, but a victor's crown by virtue of that uh, crown of thorns on his imitation, that he's suggesting that of himself, and he's suggesting it, by the way, for the midpoint of the week when he's actually mortally wounded and recovered. Now, that's when Christ was crucified at the midpoint of the tribulation week, fourth right. day of the week, Wednesday. All right. So that's the significance of that uh, also being, um, pardon me, on his invitation here. Mm -hmm. And so when we come back to the symbolism, this is another thing that intimates that he is the Antichrist. And that's what I'm saying, you know, not just eco-fascist and pagan and a Satanist, you know, with these two uh, foliage-based horns, you know, but the whole deal and the boar and all the rest, right? Mm -hmm. And by the way, Camilla is a name associated with witchcraft. <laughs> I've heard that. I've not heard as the that. patron goddess like Diana was, <clears throat> yeah, but associated in a different way. And I address that in the book too, with paganism and witchcraft, so... The name of both of Charles' wives had meaning in both cases. Oh, interesting. All right. Wow. And has meaning here with the 666 trailing behind her, mm -hmm. you know, at the end, after she was crowned. So Charles, um, I don't know why I keep doing this, but. Well, you got to feel bad for, uh, for the British man, you know, because they know this is such a downgrade. Okay. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I don't know unless, any Englishmen who are into this, you know? Yeah. You know, unless they're Satanists and pagans and wickedness. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> true. And they do have a lot of those, I guess. Yeah. They have a lot more of those than Christians in the UK at this point. Hey, it's the Holy Hand Grenade. <laughs> it is. And you'll notice the cross is at the top. Yeah. This represents the British monarchy's sovereignty over Earth. Oh. Over the globe. Interesting. I always That's what, what it has meant. always symbolized to the British monarchy. Wow. And so it's also atop all of their crowns, you know, their royal crowns. It was atop Charles mm -hmm. at his investiture, which otherwise looked like it was made out of gold nails, you know, and a band. And it was a druidic <laughs> crown on top of that at his investiture. Oh, wow. But it had this orb with a cross atop it. And then they so they give him, you know, two crowns in this whole situation on the chair.
One is St. Edward's crown. Uh, that's the first one that they'll put on him. And then they'll remove it. I don't, in fact, I'm not even sure if they put it on him or he just touched it, you know, to acknowledge as if it had been put on him. But uh, we'll see here. I think they put it on him and then they, they remove it afterwards. And then they replace that later with a state crown, which is not ancient by comparison. But, um, you know, and then they've got the ring, which is like being married, only in this case to the devil, you know, and to those who are, you know, his servants. So he touches that. Being brought by a non-Christian. Wow. Oh, here's the fourth 666. Let me get back that it's hard not to go too far back. Um, I'll come back to this in a moment. If I pause it at the right spot. This whole ceremony is just teeming with occult imagery. Yep. So again, this guy's not a Christian. He's a pagan. In the past, it would have been only people who claim to be Christian, you know. Mm -hmm. All right. You see this right here? Yeah. That's the gold signet ring that Charles has worn uh, since before he married Diana. He's never photographed with this off. I haven't found a photograph with him not wearing this in decades. Interesting. Wow. This has the badge of the Black Prince atop it, which has the three ostrich feathers. That's the actual seal on the ring itself. So people can pull up high resolution photos of this gold signet ring and it has the badge of the Black Prince on it. So when we come back to what that badge is, yeah, so everything that he's receiving here, he's associated with the Black Prince by virtue of wearing this. Mm -hmm. And when we go to his heraldic achievement here, um, this is the badge of the Black Prince right here. Oh yeah, okay. okay. That's, what's mm -hmm. a, that's the thing that's on his <clears throat> ring. And if we look at it in higher resolution, See a little better. Yeah. But it's the motto, Ikdian, I serve. And then you've got these three ostrich feathers, right? Mm -hmm. Disconnected at the base. So these are multiple things at once. Yeah, you know, the ostrich does not have very great things said about it in scripture. And these are formed to look like three vavs in Hebrew. Vav, vav, vav. Vav is the sixth letter or hieroglyph of Hebrew and the number assigned to it in the biblical numbering system is six. Mm -hmm. So this is six, six, six. I don't know if I pointed that out to you. All wow. Before. No, yeah, you did not mention that. One. Yeah. Yep. And this is, I, I get evoking and invoking mixed up, you know, in terms of mm -hmm. which is which just in terms of the orientation of this, in other words. So this is a druidic Owen, the way this is laid out. You know, where the where the outer feathers uh, flare outward, as it yeah. were. So one orientation where it's upright like this is evoking, and I could be getting these backwards, but I think this is the evoking uh, orientation. I mix up the definitions in my head after not looking at this for a long time. Yeah. But if you flip it vertically, so that the ostrich feathers are the tips of them are pointed downward, then it's evoking or the opposite of the other one mm, okay invoking, yeah yeah in one instance uh invoking i think it is you're calling upon spirits to come down mm -hmm. basically demons and 
fallen spirits to come down and participate. And this is in Druidry, okay? Neo-Druidry and Satanic Druidry. And in the other instance, you're inviting the audience to participate with the spirits mm -hmm. and in this thing, okay? This is the inviting to come down, I think. Wow. I have to go look in my own book where I've documented it <laughs> you know, years and years ago. In fact, the same time when I was uh, identifying Charles as the green man in paganism is when I was dealing with this uh, like a decade ago in the draft. So this reads, I, the black prince, serve the red dragon, serve Satan, right? This is Charles' heraldic achievement as Prince right. of Wales, which is still his, okay, even though he's now king. And the other thing about this is these are like serpents' heads. I don't know if you noticed that. The tips of the ostrich feathers? Yeah, they, they got a Almost weird like look to them. Almost like snake's heads. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. So anyway, it's I, the Black Prince, the Prince of Darkness, or the Black One. Yeah. And this is mm -hmm. the shield of the Black Prince. So again, I, the Black Prince, serve the Red Dragon or serve Satan. Wow. And the yeah. Red Dragon is identified as Satan explicitly yep. in Revelation chapter 12. And then also one other passage later in the book of Revelation, another chapter. So man, that being shown, um, what we have here is Charles wearing the badge that represents 666. Mm-hmm. As the Prince of Darkness or the Black One. Being crowned king. So this yeah. is the fourth instance, if you will, of 666. And it's present through every aspect of the ceremony because Charles is wearing the ring. Mm-hmm. Okay, never takes it off. Not even for this to be crowned king. Okay, so he's already been anointed with oil. Yeah, and now he's got various people in order bringing him the thing. So he'll get gold spurs and bracelets, you know, spurs for knighthood. Oh, and a white glove. Don't ask me what that's about because I'm not sure. It goes in one hand. I forget. <laughs> I have documentation on it, but I don't remember what that's about. That's so weird. he puts it on his right hand. Just one glove. Dude, that's yeah. like Masonic or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all of it's very satanic. You know, and... It's all very satanic. And again, they're all wearing robes from Roman Catholicism here. Yeah. It's oh, and you know, I've neglected all this time to mention the deal with the cross, which is quite important. And a little bit more about the Bible. So let's go to that for a moment here. I'll digress just briefly. Here it is. You know, it's got a backside and a front side. This was commissioned two years ago, roughly, by Charles. Mm -hmm. with materials that he provided to the Anglican church there in Wales, the Welsh church, uh, from silver, you know, re recycled silver, um, wood, and some Welsh slate. And it's really very ornate. Uh, and uh, there are some slogans, things like that on it. And in the center of it is this thing, which is what I'll show here in higher resolution. Weird yeah. So there are 12, um, I don't know, accordion-like strands mm -hmm. of gold, ostensibly for the 12 disciples or 12 garter knights, more likely here. But they haven't said what this is for. I'm presuming that it's a counterfeit of the Lord's disciples. And then two slivers of wood that are supposedly from the cross that Christ was crucified upon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Given by Francis to Charles as a gift which Charles gave to uh, 
these folks in Wales to produce this cross and putting it behind this semi-transparent pink um, gemstone. So all that is to say, Charles was led into this whole event by something symbolized, symbolizing Christ crucified, mm -hmm. you know, as a counterfeit Christ. So this was the thing that preceded him into the event gifted by the Roman Catholic Pope. So not only were they dressed in the garbs of Roman Catholic priests, right? And archbishops. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, wearing mitres that are Roman Catholic mitres, you know, like two horns, like a lamb kind of thing, you know, from the side. Yeah. And, and then, um, you know, being preceded by this Roman Catholic uh, thing, you know, artifact, which is very likely a fraud, just like that stone at the base mm -hmm. of the, of the uh, throne. Right. Yeah. Uh, but you have Charles pushing ecumenism uh, mm -hmm. and ecumenicalism, both wanting to reunify and see reunified the Anglican Protestant church uh, under Roman Catholicism. And of course, this is the Archbishop of Canterbury himself holding that cross mm. uh, previously. So um, Interesting. I think that's him. It's either the Archbishop of Wales or Archbishop, Archbishop of, no, it's, I'm sorry, I mixed him up. So that's that's Archbishop Andrew John. So he's Wales Anglican Archbishop. I mix him up with the Archbishop of Canterbury. Wow. So maybe it was him carrying it in. I don't know. Anyway, this is the Archbishop of Canterbury right here, Justin Welby. Mm -hmm. And so Charles is receiving things from these apostate archbishops. And then, of course, hmm. uh, pagans before that and i'm i'd have to play all of it for us to see all that stuff but ultimately he's walking out here with all of that he will return one of these there are two scepters well this is the actual scepter and this is a rod i think they call it the rod of equity if i remember right and it's got an, a dove atop it and i think they adopted that equity word after 1953 i have to go back and look at what they called it for elizabeth ii's coronation but basically wokeness mm. okay <laughs> diversity equity and inclusion oh of they course decided to make it part of the coronation uh-huh okay that is fitting with the theme isn't it yeah yeah but it is an actual dub atop that particular rod it's not a phoenix so you know charles will proceed out of all of this later uh there's a ton of other things that i go into in the book but these are the the really antichrist ones most of them but i'm going to come back to something that happened at the beginning that i've skipped over that i think is also significant we'll go all the way to the end and then i'll come back to the start so there was this uh, parade of you know 4,000 british military personnel from all the different branches of the uk and charles now is over the entire uk in other words Mm -hmm. He's the guy who more or less has the button to their nuclear arsenal, et cetera. The Antichrist is. Isn't that a nice thought? Yes. <laughs> Not terrifying at all. Not a bit. And so they had this massive parade of these 4,000 soldiers uh, coordinated in their uniforms heading toward Buckingham Palace to form 
outside the palace uh, and outside and below that balcony where the British monarchy is famously photographed assembling as a family so that they can wave to all the serfs beneath yeah. <laughs> and tell everyone how much they love them, you know, for all of a few seconds. <laughs> and uh, so these folks are all going to salute fealty to Charles. They're all going to give him a salute. That has never been done before at a coronation either. Really? Never. First time they've ever had a parade like this. And um, so, and I don't know, I'd have to play this, but at some point here they salute Charles and different things happen from the balcony, I guess this is the preamble while we're waiting for it. There we go. Oh, right. Here's another thing. This was meant to be another 666 at the event that they changed up at the last minute due to weather. There, there was supposed to happen. There were supposed to be um, I believe it was yeah, I think it was 60 aircraft and helicopters mixed uh, over a period of six minutes on May 6th or something like that. I forget exactly. I cited in the book, but they had to greatly reduce the number of aircraft because of the weather so that six six got uh, omitted well that's ironic considering yeah. their climate draconian you know. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah you know and for all i know there's there's a sixth one in there that i've just missed somewhere so maybe there were six 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 sixes i don't know <laughs> but four happened you're right yeah <laughs> yeah four happened and so probably we've missed the salute okay here's where the whole family is there wow uh, or <clears throat> about to be there. Let's see here. Yeah, the whole family's up there. Mm, boy, aren't they impressive. Okay. They've got all these boys from the royal family carrying the trains to the robes for Camilla and Charles. Right. Yeah, that's not weird. But <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, you know, I will point out one other thing. You know, we talked in our prior segment about sexual Satanism. So people yes. can see that on Patreon. Okay. Mm -hmm. Two of Charles' best friends historically were Jimmy Seville. Oh, yeah. The most notorious pedophile, you know, and sexual Satanist publicly, maybe in the history of the UK, other than perhaps someone like Jack the Ripper. Yeah. And he was one of Charles, you know, close friends, confidence. Give okay. Charles advice. Charles would turn to him for advice for mm. decades. Did Charles not know what kind of a man he really was? Right. You know, and there's all kinds of, uh, not really hearsay, but firsthand accounts of Charles being a sodomite himself, mm -hmm. being caught, you know, in the act in Buckingham Palace, supposedly. <laughs> in our reported in biographies, actually reported by Diana. In fact, herself. Yeah. Well, that and, colors it in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he's a he's a he's a so-called bisexual, an actual sexual Satanist himself. At any rate, close friends with pedophiles like Jimmy Seville. Another one was. Um, an Anglican priest, and I'm forgetting his name right now off the top of my head. It'll probably come to me some point, and I'll mention it. But so two individuals, right? One discovered after he died, you know, Savelle, who's now roasting in hell somewhere down yes. deep. Uh -huh. Yep. Yep. And enjoying the stink, I'm sure. And then there's... <laughs> yep. Tim, my man. Then there's... <laughs> I love it. Then there's the other guy who is... Uh, 
going to be in a similar situation. But Charles is friends with both of them. And the other guy was tossing Charles' name around to try to get out of trouble for having been caught as a pedophile mm-hmm. publicly. So, yeah, so that's that makes this not weird at all, having mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. young boys carry their trains. Anyway, so this is the point at which they're all saluting Charles. And I don't know if we'll get to see that right here because he came out twice. They, they came out, he was saluted, they went back in, and then later they came out one more time to greet the crowds a second time. And somewhere here they've got this salute from the military and a, a really loud <laughs> hip hip hurrah, hip hip hurrah, hip hip hurrah kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they meant to say 666 and they just got their words all mashed up. But <laughs> yeah. There Maybe they, they dubbed it for the audience, you know, on television, so we couldn't hear that part in reality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But okay, so now coming back to the beginning of this, people can watch this whole segment and see because I'm I'm going to have to really thumb around here to try to find where they saluted him. Yeah, it was somewhere here. I don't know. Maybe even that's it. I don't know. It's hard to believe how hard it is to find some of this stuff. But anyway, they all extend their arms to him and salute uh, and do other things with this. And then, of course, the parade with the Jets and all that fun stuff. Okay, going back to the beginning of this, you know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as I addressed a little bit in our prior um, Mm -hmm. interviews, their colors are white. The second one is fiery red. But the third and fourth are typically mistranslated or very poorly translated from the Greek text. So the black horse, in fact, is not black, biblically. It's green. Or no. No, that's the that's the, that's the white horse. Oh, green, gray. Yeah. No. Now, I'll come back to it. Okay. Um, I want to get to this point where... There we go. Okay. So I'll talk about this in just a moment. Let's look at the horsemen and what their colors are biblically uh, for a moment. All right, so let's do Revelation 6, 1 to 8. So the first one, you know, is white, and that's correctly translated right here. The second one is fiery red, and that's correctly translated right here. The third one is translated typically as black, and that is incorrect. So the color of this horse is actually cerulean blue with with uh, black and dark gray highlights and fiery red and pink highlights or hues. Oh, weird. In other words, it's the exact coloration of Lucifer at Denver International Airport. The Denver Internet. Yep, I knew it. Mm-hmm. Bingo, baby. So, read my mind. Yep. And if people go to my YouTube channel, they'll not only find the interviews with you to oh, which nice. I've linked. Thank you. But a, but a presentation to which I linked that I gave to a church in November last year. Mm-hmm which is filmed, but I actually presented the same stuff to that church in terms of the horses in 2010, 2010. So I've been talking about this publicly for a long time, Mm -hmm. but it was only filmed so that I could share it last year in November. Um, I think I saw it. Yeah. Can't be gone. Did I go past it? I think so. There it is. There it is. Yep. Right there. Okay. So this thumbnail that has Lucifer on it, 
people go watch this presentation, they'll hear what I have to say, you know, as some of the information on identifying the first and third horsemen and their horses. I show that they're both literal, just like the second and the fourth. Yeah. And this right here is the third one. It actually wow. is. And there are two of these. They both sit in the breadbasket of the United States. Yep. So Denver International Airport sits right in the center of one of the U.S. breadbaskets, the main one. And then the other one is in Oklahoma, outside of a college or university made by the same artist. Yep. You know, before he died. So two of these. The other one's a miniature version of this. Hmm. <laughs> and, and they had an Anubis statue, an actual statue, you know, holding a pair of scales, dismounting oh, yeah. this at Denver International Airport. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Big enough statue to have actually dismounted this huge Lucifer statue. Yeah. Peering in through one of the wings at Denver International Airport. I show that in this. People can see it in yeah. this uh, presentation. So I recommend people watch that. And yeah. uh, and so coming back to this, it's actually cerulean blue and, you know, with the other things that I highlighted. And that horse at Denver International Airport actually comes out of Native American mythology. So in the book that I have coming on the four horsemen of the apocalypse, I have a separate book just on the four horsemen of the apocalypse that's coming in which I only identify, you know, give the main material for two of the horsemen, the first and the third, because I've got separate books entirely for the second and third horsemen, or excuse me, the second and fourth horsemen, you know, which are um, just so people understand what books those are. The second horseman is North Korea, Iran and the coming world war. This mm -hmm. book. Yeah which is available in print and Kindle both, uh, but you get it from Prophecy House right here, North Korea, Iran, and the coming world war. Yeah, as I mentioned in a prior interview with you folks and others, um, I talked about the war with Ukraine and Russia in this also. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So remember. this isn't just about North Korea, Iran, Saudi Arabia, United States, and Israel, Yeah, you know, kind of caught in the middle. But I also addressed Russia, China, Taiwan, South Korea, uh, Japan, India, and Pakistan, and Turkey all in this and NATO, of course. So Australia as well, all that is addressed in this book and the formation of World War III kicking off with war starting with North Korea and Iran. But I mentioned what happens with Russia and Ukraine. And this was published in 2018, years before that invasion occurred. Wow. And I talk about what comes next in this book. So this book already reveals what's going to happen next. So people can get that. That was published in 2018. This is about the fiery red horse which by the way, is the national symbol of North Korea. Mm -hmm. It's also the symbol of mobile oil corporation, Exxon mobile, mobile, and then prior mm -hmm. to that Magnolia oil. Okay. That being stated, this, the fourth horseman is Charles, the antichrist who's going to be over global government for three and a half years after he's possessed by the devil. But this unicorn on his heraldic achievement, his coat of arms, although it looks, you know, white gray here, more or less, the only reason you don't see the green in this uh, very much is because it's this is a representation of CMYK colors like you'd see on normal covers of printed books. Mm -hmm. So the color model is cyan, magenta, yellow, key or black on which this is printed and basically it clips or cuts out that greenish hue that's actually present for this unicorn. It's actually not white or gray. It's pale green gray. Mm -hmm. And when I did, just so that people could see that, I uh, did a PDF version. And unfortunately, this one's low resolution, but yeah, I did a PDF version, you know, printing it in RGB instead of CMYK. That's the only difference. Mm -hmm. And in RGB, you very clearly see the green issue. That's awesome. Right here. Mm -hmm. And the reason that's all significant is 
that the fourth horse in Revelation chapter 6, when we get down to this one, is not pale. It's not pale only. Yeah. Now, this is typically translated as pale or ashen, sometimes yellow <clears throat> or pale yellow. The meaning of the Greek text is pale green gray, meaning the color of rotting human flesh. Yep, necrotic mm. flesh. Necrotic flesh, right. And that is the color of the unicorn, which is the fourth horse on Charles <laughs> Walden's achievement. Now, some people will say, well, that's not a horse, it's a unicorn, right? And you point out it's got boar's hooves and mm -hmm. goat's mane and a unicorn's horn and a man's eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the word horse for here, horse here in Greek is actually a generic word. It's not only a horse like we think of a horse. It covers Pegasus, it covers unicorn, and it covers horse, all three. Yeah. Okay, just to cool. be clear on that. And that being said, uh, now I can come back to the beginning of the coronation here. What colors do you see? You now, Charles and Camilla are here in the coach. Mm-hmm. What colors do you see? Cerulean. Well, you see the red, the fiery red, the mm -hmm. blue, cerulean blue. You see the gold, kind of like ash mm -hmm. or pale green gray. It's not really. They're substituting gold if you want to say that. But you almost get it right here, right here, kind of. It's not perfect, but the point is, I think they tried to meld the colors of the four horsemen of the apocalypse into this. Yep. All drawing Charles. You know, like I pointed out earlier, when we actually have him riding as the fourth horseman years from now, when he's been possessed by the devil, uh, they'll all be riding with him, all those colors. So Charles and Camilla are in this thing. But the colors are pretty vibrant, right? Yeah. And I'm, in this case, loosely, you know, beat me up on it or not, folks, if you want. But <laughs> I'm calling the gold here a substitute for the pale green gray. And if I pause it here, Notice the reflections through the window? Mm-hmm. Pale green gray. And yeah. we had one through this window a moment ago. I can't say that was on purpose on their part, but it's there. <laughs> right? You get it multiple times in the reflections on the window. That's great stuff. Mm. Tim, we'll have That's to have you surprise. back just to talk about the four horsemen. So all of my books, the ones that are available and the ones that are coming, will show up here on Prophecy House's site. That's prophecyhouse.com. The second edition of the Antichrist and Cup of Tea, which is not this. This is the first edition that's being shown, but it's the second edition that's available now. And pretty soon this will be replaced with a cover cover uh, photo of the second edition. This right here is the second edition. No, that's not it. Sorry. Um, let me go back to it. Uh, this is the second edition, which has the subtitle. Okay. Just so people know. Okay. Yes. That's a bigger book. It's massively expanded. A lot of new evidence in that book, including the idol, the desolating idol, the abomination. Yeah, that's to be the desolating idol, the abomination of desolation mm -hmm. yeah. in scripture. Charles already has the statue. We covered mm -hmm. that in a prior interview. All that is in the second edition of the book. People can order that book now. They can nice. get this book now. And these CDs and DVD sets are available now. But I will have about 40 books out and three multi-volume series, as I mentioned earlier, in the next two to three years. And there'll be other books, I believe, coming this year, including on the Mark of the Beast and so forth. So awesome. people can look here for that. And soon enough, they'll be orderable. But most of those won't be available till they're actually shipping. Cool. But this one can be pre-ordered, pre-publication, although, it, like I said, starts shipping here in weeks. So I think in less than a month, but we'll see. Awesome. And, uh, well, great. Then yeah. on my YouTube channel, people can see all kinds of 
presentations and interviews, including the ones with you, and yeah. a five-hour interview I did that shows some of the non-terrestrial life on Mars and the moon. Oh, yeah. We got to get you back so to do a deep dive on that one, too. Yep. Yeah. So, okay. Cool. Thank you. Tim, dude, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure to talk to you. We really appreciate you too. it. Tim Cohen, author of The Antichrist and a Cup of Tea, friend of the channel. Thanks for being here, buddy. Yeah, thanks, man. 